If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. The NFL extension deadline looms tomorrow. What does that mean for Yannick Ngakwe? What does it mean for Derrick Henry? And now we know what it means for Chris Jones because he has signed a big deal. What is the impact on that for everybody else? Dak Prescott included in all of that. What does it say about the franchise that Kansas City got it done with Patrick Mahomes already and now Chris Jones tying up a lot of money and other teams like Dallas and the Jags uh, and even the Titans can't find a way to get it done at the moment. There's an FSU schedule change for 2021, not this year, not COVID-19 related. We'll get to that a little bit later on. The Florida Gators, Scott Strickland, athletic director, he battled coronavirus uh, about a month ago. He spoke to the media. So we'll have some of the thoughts of the Florida athletic director coming up as uh, the questions remain around the college football season and all fall sports for that matter. We continue Carathon 2020. Thanks for contributing. Be a part of it. Help donate. Uh, we made our pledge uh, for $250 yesterday during the show, and uh, we got that done this morning, so hopefully you can follow suit. doesn't have to be 250 bucks, but uh, any uh, amount is a good amount to help uh, the Child Cancer Fund uh, here this week. You can text the word forever to 41444. Say hello to Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Jack studios. I'm in the back of my pickup truck here in Hoover, Alabama, watching a little baseball, getting a little sun. And uh, you know what? It's not too bad out here, man. It kind of feels like a remote. Doesn't sound like a bad way to do business, man. Obviously, watching your son play some baseball, hanging out in the back of a truck. I see you got the umbrella going there for a little shade exposure. I appreciate that, man. So, yeah, props for the ingenuity. You're kind of like the MacGyver of sports radio, man. So, well done. We are trying it all, trying different uh, ways, uh, but I love being outside here. The schedule has not been great to me uh, the last couple of days uh, with the show, and, and we only play one game a day, man. It's, a, it's crazy, the formats, and a lot of that has to do with pitching uh, and trying to save arms at this level, and, and you know some of this considered showcase ball, so uh, not really at 14, in my opinion. We're not seeing a lot of that, but still, they try to save the arms, and, and these things last so long because of it. Used to play like five games in a day when they were little kids, and just get it done, and now you don't do it, but uh, the schedule isn't adding up to the radio show, so we're doing a little bit of everything today, so we appreciate everybody uh, joining us, and, and obviously all the uh, flexibility for Austin and Coos back there, uh, but we got a show that's uh, lined up with, with a lot of football talk as the, the debates continue. A couple other things we're going to get into today, which we left uh, on the table a little bit yesterday. Facilities. You know, John Gruden said it's, it's the greatest thing he's ever seen in terms of their Vegas uh, stadium. Does it matter? To, uh, to NFL players for good facilities, good stadiums, or is that kind of a college thing? And you know my feeling, uh, my soapbox is we may have gotten a little too greedy on the college side when it comes to the facilities. Quick thought on that, Austin. Did you care where you were playing, or was it almost the historic nature of the venue that got you going more kind of like a Lambeau or, or Oakland or maybe it's a, a, a Washington Stadium, Dallas, because of the how big it is? What, what got your well, attention when you played? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously coming from Murray State where – our facilities at Murray State were, you know, they're decent and everything like that. I mean, I was, I was thankful to, especially where I came from in high school, where, you know, we, we had to get dressed outside on, on the grass. I mean, we didn't even have a locker room by our stadium. So, I mean, I, I wasn't really asking for much when I got to Murray State. 
Um, when I got to the pros, you know, I mean, it, it was all pretty much just class. I mean, I, I don't really remember a stadium except, and it's ironic, I remember when I went to go do a workout with Oakland when they are maybe trying to look to sign me, and I remember, like, touring the facilities of Oakland, and that was literally, like, the only stadium that stood out to me where I was just like, how do guys actually sign here? Like, how do free agents actually, you know, accept to come to Oakland just because their practice facility, it was all kind of outdated, you know, like where um, teams had like the new age cold tubs and hot tubs and everything. They still had like the troughs, you know, that you put like a horse in. So it, it was kind of weird to see uh, that in Oakland. Now, obviously, they have probably one of the best stadiums um, in Vegas now. So it is an upgrade. But what really sparked my attention, though, and obviously playing in Lambeau Field was great. I got to relive my childhood a little bit of watching that on TV. So that was great. But what really sparked my interest and what I remember is my very, my very first career start was in Dallas. And keep in mind, it was kind of like the the introduction to the new AT&T Stadium there in Dallas. And needless to say, their away locker room was better than our like home locker room. And don't get it twisted. like Our home locker room was awesome. I mean, I had no complaints about the locker rooms there in Jacksonville. But when we got to Dallas, man, it was just, it was in a different level. It was in a different league. And listen, if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm trying to make it as crappy as possible for the away team because that's an advantage, man. Anytime you got guys that are, you know, have small locker space, all of a sudden it's like 90 degrees in the locker room, you turn up the heat a little bit, that's an advantage. Jerry spared no expense in terms of the away locker room. So shout out to Jerry Jones for doing that, man. Uh, it was like the four seasons of an away locker room. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, obviously, I don't think the Jags would be, like, stadium-wise, they need a lot of improvements, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and I think they know that and they're working on it and working ahead toward that. But if you look at some of the other stadiums around the league, I mean, Buffalo had these tiny visiting locker rooms, always has. Uh, doesn't? It's not like the greatest place. It's certainly not a Taj Mahal. But you mentioned Oakland. And Oakland, like, I am not this guy that complains about facilities, it's it's still nice, and it's still an NFL stadium. It doesn't have to be great. Oakland's one worth complaining about. The press box is bad. The, the, the way to get up to everything and navigate the stadium is bad. I mean, it was so bad. I think the only thing going for the, the Raiders organization in terms of facility was, don't they always have, like, a an alumni, Napa Valley, like like a cookout or something oh, during yeah. training camp yeah, or something? Yeah, that was um, highlighted during the Hard Knocks uh, episode. Yeah, so, like, they yeah. Have, literally, I think if you played, like, a game, Game or if you're like on a practice squad, you're welcome to come back for like, you know, Raider week or whatever, like the alumni week. And yeah, you just, you and the family can hang out in Napa Valley, take it all in. So, I mean, I guess if you want to say, you know, you spend four bad years in those locker rooms and those horse troughs trying to get a, you know, a sweat out or, you know, try to get in the cold tub and everything, if it's worth it to kind of have the free ticket to Napa Valley every single year, not a bad trade off. Yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, and listen, I I think the new stadiums, by the way, they're for the cities. You know, they're trying to attract other events, and I don't really think they're for the players. But um, it's interesting to hear a player's thought on it. I do think the historic nature. I think it's cool playing in Lambeau for every player in the NFL. I think even Kansas City has some, uh, especially late. As of late, but even for a long time, it's always been a loud place. And I think lately going to Seattle and playing because of the loud nature of that stadium is an experience. So I think there are stadiums that have some lore to them for players. But I just wonder about do you need top-notch facilities? When the Jags and Shotcon bought the team and he upgraded the locker room and, and the athletic training room, that was a big deal. 
uh, it was good to keep pace, but it also wasn't like, yeah, I need uh, six more loungers. I need uh, four more Xboxes. You know, it, it just feels like a different story uh, when it comes to the college game. And it's funny, too, because if you, I mean, listen, I'm sure every single player is different, but at least the guys that I was around in terms of, you know, away locker rooms and then the way stadiums, I mean, we didn't really think too much of, all right, well, this locker's tiny or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not, uh, the showers are small, whatever. Like, we didn't really worry about that. The only thing we worried about and we really talked about in preparation for to kind of get our minds right of what we had to endure was the field conditions, right? Because when you went to Pittsburgh, when you went to Chicago, they're notoriously known. I'm not sure if it's changed now, but back when I played, they're notoriously known for horrible field conditions, especially Chicago. And like that was, I mean, I played in Chicago. So even like the, you know, the Bears, like my teammates would complain about it. And those are some of the games we had where we used to call them seven studs right because on cleats they're either molded or they're like you know they're the screw-ins so we always said like all right we're going to pittsburgh it's going to be a seven stud kind of game we're going to chicago it's going to be a seven stud kind of game so that was probably the biggest thing that players care about when they're going to the away stadiums yeah that's a good call i mean gosh how do they get bad i mean is it just bad turf is it bad soil i mean you look at like arizona they've got two fields they can slide one in and out of that stadium yeah, uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, I think with Pittsburgh, didn't you, the like, University Pitt play there a little bit as well? True. So, yeah, yeah, so that field get, got chewed up. Chicago, I don't know, man, because, like, on the outside, if you're in the stands, you're looking down on it, it looks like, you know, it looks like the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's beautiful. They, they, they have to keep it so well. But for whatever reason, whether it's the temperatures, the conditions, that field when I played there was absolute trash. And I'm not, I'm not trying to break any news here. Everybody knew it. But um, it was definitely an advantage, though, for the offensive linemen just because you could never grab your footing there at uh, Soldier Field. Yeah, wild. Uh, another thing, speaking of kind of the college and, and NFL ties to everything that's going on uh, from a facility standpoint, that's one thing. But I want to talk a little bit later in the show today about recruiting and scouting. What if we don't have a normal season? What are they going to do for recruiting high school football kids in college? And what are we going to do to prep for the draft uh, for the NFL scouts? Are we going to be allowed to go? Are they going to be allowed to go? Is it just film? What if they don't play in college? What if they don't play in high school? What happens there? interesting conundrum uh, as as the dominoes would continue to fall as you head into a couple of very important parts of those sports which is college recruiting in that next cycle and then also the nfl draft and undrafted free agents and scouting players and sure all those things have started and probably got a little head start based on last year's games and and results and, and film but you want to be able to continue that and players change and and more guys come up so i want to talk a little bit about how we could be impacted this year uh by that coming up next we're gonna take a time out we come back chris jones signs a big deal how did the kansas city chiefs do it what does it say about the organization that they now have chris jones and patrick mahomes locked up and also what does it say about the others that haven't been able to do it will it impact yannick Ngakwe, dak prescott anybody else we'll talk about it we're live from hoover alabama back of a pickup truck watching a little baseball in the action sports jack studios here on a tuesday thanks for hanging with us on espn 690 hey welcome back here on a tuesday edition of action sports jacks on espn 690 from hoover alabama to jacksonville florida in the action sports jack studios brent martino here in alabama 
Austin Lane and Coos back in the studios once again. And tomorrow, a big day in the NFL as extension time and the deadline uh, for the franchise tag guys around the league. Dak Prescott, Chris Jones, of course, Yannick Ngakwe for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Can you get something figured out? And, uh, well, the Kansas City Chiefs got something figured out earlier today as Chris Jones is going to get a monster deal. Four years, 80 million, it looks like. I think another uh, five million on top of that is the, is the last I read. It looked like they were not going to get a deal done, sounded like. But then here in the last 24 hours, things really came together for Chris Jones and the Kansas City Chiefs. So there's a couple of questions here. Yeah. Are you surprised, Austin, that it got done? And why are the Chiefs able to get this done on the heels of a 10-year, half-a-billion-dollar contract for their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes? And I understand one doesn't necessarily impact the other. I mean, this is a long-term deal with Patrick Mahomes. It's not like he got $500 million on this year's cap. So you got to understand that and plus this year I don't even think his number is going to be that big I think next year the numbers start getting a lot bigger but how did the Chiefs get it done and were you surprised that it got done with Chris Jones given some of the narrative over the last few weeks uh first of all no I'm, I'm not surprised at all that the deal got done I was expecting it to get done um and here's why Okay, when you talk about the Patrick Mahomes contract deal getting done, that set everything up in motion. Okay, that that was like the big card that the rest of the cards could kind of build the house with, right? So once Patrick Mahomes got done, you find out, all right, our star player, um, our former MVP, Super Bowl MVP, he's going to be here for a long term now. And if you're a player, if you're kind of on the fence, well, do I want to get a record-breaking contract or do I want to win more Super Bowls? Well, that kind of helps make your decision a little bit, right? Because you know Patrick Mahomes is going to be tied up for a while. Um, but on the other side of that coin, the Kansas City Chiefs understand just how important Chris Jones is to what they do. I understand the Kansas City Chiefs, the offensive juggernaut. Andy Reid's baby. I get that. But on the other side of the ball, on the defensive side of the ball, they play some pretty solid defense, too, and that's anchored by Chris Jones, who, in my opinion, is one of the best three techniques in the entire league. Keep in mind, he's only 26 years old right now, and you're talking about a four-year, $85 million deal. Now, yeah, that's high, especially with $60 million in guarantees. Yeah, that's that's a pretty hefty contract. But also, if a team really wants a player, they always find a way to sign him. And I know that the Kansas City Chiefs wanted to keep Chris Jones. Yeah, maybe you got to move some things around here, here, there, there. But I've been saying it since day one. The salary cap is just a myth. It does not exist. Um, if you're a conspiracy theorist, look into it. But needless to say, I'm not surprised that the Chiefs signed Chris Jones. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think that's what most people would say. If you're going to get a deal done with a guy, if you're going to, if you like a player enough, you'll you'll figure out a way to sign him. And uh, I applaud the Chiefs for being able to get it done. And Chris Jones wanted the deal. He's a very good player. He's earned it. And on top of that, by the way, there's one more step of this for Chris Jones and the structuring of this deal at four years. And that is when he's, uh, what, 30 years old, he'll be able to do what like Calais Campbell did and go get another monster deal. And so really have three contracts at the very least in his NFL career, given that he plays to the level that uh, he hopes to and, and has been. And so that also brings us to Yannick Ngakwe a little bit, because Jan's in the 25-year range, so he's he's younger than Chris Jones. And I think it, it would be nice for him to do a similar thing. That's, that's why the earlier he gets a contract extension, the better it is to kind of get that third one down the road and maybe really hit the bank uh, a couple of times. Uh, but what does it say? if anything, about Dak Prescott 
not getting a deal done so far with the deadline looming. What does it say about Yannick Ngakwe? Are they entirely different situations, or does one contract talk to another after Chris Jones was able to get it done? Well, obviously, in terms – let's go ahead and compare Yannick Ngakwe to Chris Jones, right, because they, they play on the same side of the ball. So in terms of how you know close is this Yannick Ngakwe contract to that Chris Jones contract – well, keep in mind, Chris Jones wants to be in Kansas City. Okay, obviously he showed that by signing the deal, but also I think you'd be crazy right now not to be in that Chiefs team because there is so much firepower. They are so talented, and if you're into winning a Super Bowl and getting that glory, the Chiefs is this, you know, the Kansas City is the spot to be. So, from Yannick Ngakwe's perspective, obviously he stated time and time and time again that he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville. Okay, there's a giant falling out, whether it was Tom Coughlin, whether there's other players getting signed, whatever the reason is, Yannick Ngakwe has made it perfectly clear that he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville, that he wants to get traded. Now, he may feel differently now, given the, the landscape of everything going on, but I'm just saying, from what we have to go off of right now, Yannick Ngakwe doesn't want to be here. So, to me, it doesn't matter if you're Dave Caldwell and you throw you know, the $18 million, $19 million at him um, you know, with some signing bonus incentives. doesn't really matter because the guy doesn't want to be here, and, and that to me, is obviously the big difference between Chris Jones and Yannick Ngakwe right now. Yeah, and I, I think, obviously, I don't think anything's changed, by the way. Uh, as last I can check, and uh, I just don't see it change and hasn't changed. Uh, Jan wants out. Jags are nowhere closer to an extension. Like, it's not happening tomorrow, okay? I will say that <laughs> with all certainty. Like, they're not, there's not like these secret talks going on. With a contract extension. I'll eat my words if it happens in the next 24 hours, but it ain't happening. Well, I was going to say, are you going to put your house on it again or not? This one? Yeah. I would absolutely put my house on. Coos. It ain't happening. Say that audio. And then I would have to buy an RV, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't know if Steph and the kids would like that. But uh, anyway, I I just don't see it happening. But your point's a good one. Uh, It's like at this stage of it, you you. Even if the Jags wanted to get a deal done or want to do something, it looks like it's going to be really hard to because Jan doesn't want to dance. Isn't that the feeling you get? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in order to work a deal, and this is with football, this is with any kind of business, both sides have to come to an agreement right now. And the fact that Yannick Ngakwe doesn't want to be in Jacksonville, well, that's one side. That's 50%. So it would be crazy to ask, well, yeah, maybe Yannick Ngakwe eventually will sign. No, he, he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville. He's made that perfectly clear. So in that case, once, you're, once your mind is made up, and I don't think money's really the issue anymore, I don't think money's the factor, once your mind is made up, especially you know with an NFL player with an ego, I've been in those locker rooms, I've had one myself, once your mind is made up, there's no going back. So with that being said, I mean, either Jacksonville obviously trades him or they give him that franchise tag and maybe he signs it. But as far as getting a long-term deal done, I think those days are long, long gone by now. But it goes to show you, though, Brent, right? They had an opportunity. Now, say what you want about it, how much money he was asking for, whether he can play their run or not. You know, we broke it down last year, but there's... So far, some people out there that say, well, he's too small to take on the run. He's just a certified pass rusher. Whatever the case is, okay, Chris Jones made it a habit to speak out and say, I'm not going to show up unless I get a new contract. And you know what? Chris Jones got a new contract. And you know what? Going forward, he's going to be a pillar in that locker room for a long time, especially on that defense. Yannick Ngakwe said that he wanted a new contract, didn't get it done. I think was professional about it, but for whatever reason, didn't get the money that he wanted. 
showed up like a professional, but didn't get the job done. And now we're sitting here where he could be a pillar going forward. He could be a great teacher to Josh Allen and now to Chase on as well. But those days are gone. So we'll see if he's going to be here for the year or not. But I'm just saying if a team wants to sign a guy and a team envisions a guy for the future, they find a way to get it done. And unfortunately, in Yannick Ngakwe's case, and keep in mind, Dave Caldwell was very adamant uh, after the season at that press conference saying our, our number one goal is to, you know, lock up Yannick Ngakwe. Well, unfortunately, it didn't happen for whatever reason. So now we're sitting here. Yeah, and, and the question, by the way, isn't whether Yannick Ngakwe is going to get a, a multi-year deal extension. They're going to beat the deadline tomorrow. The question is, is he going to play? Is he going to play on the tag? Is he going to sign the tag? And there's continued thought and, and uh, just word that, no, he's not. And uh, we'll see where it lands. And, and will he do it? I mean, uh, I don't expect him in the early part of camp. Uh, I still think in my mind he plays, although, uh, I, you know, some people will say I'm crazy on that. Um, That's what I, I just, said. You do. Uh, and so we disagree on that. And you might be right. But uh, that's where that's headed. Uh, you know, interesting. Here, here's just a one more thought on Kansas City. Field Yates has this tweet. Really um, kind of puts it in a nutshell, too. Patrick Mahomes, 10-year extension. Check. Chris Jones, four-year contract. Check. 20 of 22 Super Bowl starters returning. Check. Entire coaching staff intact. Check. Five of top six rushers. Eight of top nine receivers. Six of top seven O-linemen and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who they drafted. Um, that's what they've got coming back in 2020. They are built to sustain it. Now, you need to get healthy, be healthy. You need a lot of things still to go right, even if you're that good. But that's where the Chiefs are. So where does this lead like Dak Prescott? We just did it against the Jags and what that means for them. But what about Dak Prescott, man? He's the quarterback, $31 million franchise tag. But what about a long-term deal for Dak and, and the quiet Jerry Jones, by the way? Yeah, obviously. So in terms of Dak Prescott, it is different because he plays the most important position in football. Okay, and when we're talking about Dak Prescott right now, I mean, he's been pretty clear of where he wants to get paid. And before Patrick Mahomes' contract came along, Dak Prescott wanted to be pretty much the highest-paid quarterback out there. Now, we'll see what happens from that standpoint. I, you know, it's up in the air right now because I think Jerry Jones is a very prideful individual. And Jerry Jones, when he gets kind of set, set in his ways, he sticks to his guns more than any other owner, probably or more than any other GM out there. So with that being said, do I think the Dak Prescott deal is going to get done ASAP? Probably not. Um, I think the, the franchise tag gets signed from him, but eventually they work out a deal because, in my opinion, you cannot afford to lose Dak Prescott. Sure, you can franchise tag him for two years, but you take care of your own, and especially to you take care of the quarterback position. Now, yes, he may, he may want a little um, too much money, and that's fine, but he, he has the power, in my opinion, because you're, you're the quarterback and you can call the shots. So I think they eventually get a deal done, but first it starts with that franchise tag. Does it say how great of a franchise maybe the Chiefs are, and we didn't really ever give them that much credit until they started winning and moving up and drafting Patrick Mahomes? And by the way, they've had very good drafts ever since 2013. I think it was the year they finished. Oh, would have been would have been 12 uh, because 13 was the draft. So yeah, 2012 was the year they finished two and 14 and had the number one pick, and the Jags had the second pick. Well, since then, what they've been able to do with those draft picks, you know, what they've been able to do with moving up and getting Patrick Mahomes certainly has put them in a position of success on a lot of different levels. So you have to applaud them. But it also, how you spend your money, how you take care of your players, you have been adamant about that says a lot about your organization. Um, does it say 
poor things about the Jags and even the Cowboys in these situations, even though the Cowboys have already taken care of yeah. Amari Cooper and already taken care of Ezekiel Elliott. And, I mean, the Jags did take care of Miles Jack, but, but that's about it. Well, listen, we talk about the Cowboys real quick. Yes, they have taken care of Amari Cooper. Yes, they have taken care of Ezekiel Elliott. But have you taken care of the most important position on that football team? No, you haven't. The same thing with Miles Jack. It, what was the Miles Jack contract justified? I think you can make cases for both sides, okay? But regardless, you still had Jalen Ramsey waiting for a new deal, and you still had Yannick Ngakwe waiting for a new deal. On the hierarchy of, you know, motivation to sign players, I think Miles Jack would have fell third on that list behind Yannick Ngakwe and behind Jalen Ramsey. You asked the question, Brent, do I think Kansas City, you know, have they done something special there in terms of, you know, with Andy Reid and just their GMs or everything? I don't necessarily think it's special. I just think it's the way that things have to be done in the NFL, and it's the way Super Bowl teams have done it for the past decades. You know, it's the fact that when you draft great players, you sign those great players to new contracts, okay? And then when the team is close to making the playoffs or that team is close to making that Super Bowl run, then you bring in the high-priced free agents, then you bring in the final pieces. But any, every NFL team that wants to be successful, you build through the draft. And when those three or four years are up on that first rookie contract, you re-sign them. It's as simple as that. And I think the problem right now with the Jacksonville Jaguars is you've lost guys like Allen Robinson. You've lost guys like Jalen Ramsey. You're about to use lose Yannick Ngakwe. You know? And I can go on and on. You, you've lost Dante Fowler. And I, maybe you got some stuff back in return for him. But my point is to build the culture, to build the leadership, you have to retain those guys. And for whatever reason, Jacksonville's had a bad, has done a bad job in doing that. All right, now here's another one, and this just is dropping in the last 45 minutes or so. Miles Garrett uh, is going to get a big deal, it looks like, uh, if I see that correctly. Did you see that, too? Uh, did I see Miles Garrett coming back? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, so... No, no, well, I'm just uh, saying, did you see the new deal? I oh, want to make sure deal. we're not... I'm not... This isn't, like, an erroneous report. No, for sure. Uh, but I think I think it's a uh, rap sheet is, is saying... Um, and I think I have the right one. So, yeah, I got the right one. So here's the deal. Uh, Miles Garrett closing in on a five-year extension worth $125 million, mm-hmm. uh, this time for $25 million in new money per year. Uh, their top priority of the offseason, and they're in the final stages. And keep in mind, this is a guy that obviously went through some things. And now, is, what does that say to Clowney and Yannick Ngakwe that Miles Garrett's going to rake in $25 million? I would imagine that's pretty good for them. Well, it is, it's, it's fantastic news for them. And let's be honest, Miles Garrett, in my opinion, Definitely a top 10 um, edge rusher, probably even a top five. Obviously, he kind of got the bad rap with uh, trying to beat Mason Rudolph with his helmet. That wasn't a good look, but obviously the Cleveland Browns have looked past that and moved on. But once again, Brent, this, this proves my point right here. Okay, A Cleveland Browns team that has now made Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end in the league. Now, should he be the highest paid tight end? Absolutely not. Is he a decent player? Yeah, he is. But to say that he's a better player than Travis Kelsey, than George Kittle, than Zach Ertz, come on, man. But you're paying him that much money. To pay Odell Beckham Jr., to pay Jarvis Landry, to pay Kareem Hunt. But once again, the Cleveland Browns understand that Miles Garrett is a special player, a player that they drafted and groomed in their system. And now they're going to take care of him. There's always money in the salary cap. You move numbers around, you make it work, but you take care of your players. And once again, I can learn to understand. I can learn to understand. What was that? Brent, did you hear that or not? I didn't hear it. Okay, Kuz is pushing buttons. I have no idea what's, what's My happening. My computer went haywire. Yeah, apparently. We're but all right. I, 
I hope so. But anyway, so Miles Garrett, obviously the Browns are taking care of themselves, which is great. Dude, <laughs> you, got I, dis- I wish you, you got a little distracted there. Well, Coos, what, what, what was that? Okay, so all of a sudden a girl just came on my headphones and started screaming at me. No, it's the computers. They added a, a like a voice to speak feature on the computer, yeah. which is how we're bringing Brent in. Okay. And I bumped the the mouse, which turned it on. And then I thought clicking it again would make it go away. Well, that yeah. just made her say it again. It just made her say words. Okay. Yeah, twice. That was, that, that was weird. That was creepy. Sorry, I, about I that, could man. not hear that. Uh, but I was thinking that you guys earlier might have been able to hear like the bird chirping in the background. It was like we were at the Masters. Uh, <laughs> There was like there, there were some loud uh, birds right behind me here uh, in the pine trees, and so I just was f- bringing you a little hello, friend, from Augusta. <laughs> we appreciate uh, a, that. A bit early, <laughs> so <laughs> we got noises all over the place. Yeah, um, happening. You know, here's the deal, man. The what you just said about Miles Garrett, boy, what a big win for defensive ends. I mean, we've been talking about it for the last three, four, five, six months. That wait, where's the market, right? Yeah. Where's the money? For the normal, like, high dollar of the defensive end position hasn't been there. Mm-hmm. Well, here comes Miles Garrett to save the day. Uh, that has got to do a lot for the position overall. And I'm not just talking Jan. I'm talking in general for these uh, Jadavion Clowney and for anybody upcoming. I mean, because it was a strange thing going on in the last six months or so when free agency hit and the defensive ends weren't garnering a lot of attention and the kind of money, pretty much the write-your-own-check kind of money that we've seen from that position. And we wondered, was it uh, Lawrence deal and Frank Clark's deal? Did they not live up to it in terms of the number output compared to what they got paid? Well, here comes Miles Garrett uh, to break the bank and really help out the position. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if you're Clowney, especially, you got to like it because one would assume that right now in free agency, Clowney's going to be the first guy off the list, depending what happens here. But we always talk about resetting the market, resetting the market, resetting the market. C.J. Mosley, two years ago for the, the Baltimore Ravens, reset the middle linebacker market. Entered Joel Schobert now, you know, and a pretty good deal uh, for the Jaguars. He got a lot of money. I mean, all it takes is one guy, Brett. Now, obviously, the whole Patrick Mahomes situation, I'm not sure how that's going to correlate to setting the market of the quarterback position just because it is so astronomical, and he's such a once-in-a-generational talent where it's like, well, now, does Dak Prescott's you know, price tag go up because of uh, Patrick Mahomes? I'm not sure about that. But from the edge rusher position, obviously now, if you're Yannick Ngakwe, if you're Clowney, you have to like what you see with Miles Jack. I'm sorry, with Miles Garrett getting paid. And also keep in mind, Chris Jones, too, who's a, he's a three technique. So I understand that. But he still gets paid to go up to the, the, the quarterback as well. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it resets. You know, you mentioned the Mosley one. Sometimes they don't reset and everybody follows suit. Uh, because the most, CJ Mosley didn't like, not every linebacker is making whatever he was making, 72 million, you know, over the course of, uh, maybe, was that like a four year deal or something? It was something crazy. And, and he reset it so much that I don't even think anybody's come really close to that, if I'm not mistaken. So, like the, the Mahomes one, that's what you were just referring to. Yeah. It's not like everybody might fall in line now at a half a billion dollar deal. He might just be a special talent and not everybody wants to do it. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here. That's where I thought we were going with the pass rusher position, where everybody's like, hey, wait a minute now. we got to lay off those Lawrence and Clark deals. I mean, that just didn't yeah. uh, make much sense. And, and now Miles Garrett comes in and says, nah, there's still value if, if you put up the numbers. Well, But also keep in mind, though, Brent, you talk about the inside linebacker setting the market. I mean, C.J. Mosley did, and then the following year, Bobby Wagner from Seattle actually got more than him. So now he's making $18 million a year. So essentially... C.J. Mosley got his money, and then the following year, 
Wagner got his money, and then all so of a sudden Wagner now it's, did. Yeah, so now Bobby Wagner's the highest paid inside linebacker in the entire NFL. And was it, didn't Wagner do his own deal? Wasn't uh, he one yeah, of those guys yep. that did his own deal? Yeah, uh, I believe so. Didn't use an agent. So all that money is going in his pocket. Nicely okay. done. Okay. Yep. But it's not like line. Like, I understand what you're saying, though. The, the rake up bumped up, even for guys like Schobert and Jack, even if they're not on that level and guys aren't going to pay them like that. Mm-hmm. The rates still went up. And so it just depends where you fall in line. Um, I don't think we're seeing every linebacker get a 70 or 80 million dollar deal or 17, 18 million dollars a year per se. Um, but if you're upper echelon, that's where the bar has been set. So, hey, I think it's a good day to be a pass rusher again. Yeah. <laughs> that's my point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's uh, the thing, and it should be. Obviously, I'm a little biased because uh, I, I was accustomed to rushing the passer, only did it three times, got a sack. But you know what I'm talking about, though. But in terms of, listen, I think we talk about playmakers and game changers you start at the edge rusher. I understand a top-flight corner is important. Yes, the quarterback position is obviously important. But besides those two positions, the edge rusher is up there. And I think now we're finally starting to see Miles Garrett come around and the importance of Chris Jones as well. So it's good to see that the edge rushers are starting to get some respect again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they certainly are doing that. All right, we're going to take a timeout uh, here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We'll keep you up to date. Any new information that comes along, but we obviously have some contract moving and shaking on the transaction wire uh, going on here on a Tuesday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with a deadline looming. Uh, we'll get to some facilities, scouting, recruiting. How could all that stuff uh, be impacted by COVID-19? Plus, what did Scott Strickland say today, the Florida Gators AD? He had contracted the coronavirus. Uh, What is he saying about the student-athletes on campus and the fall sports? Do we know anything more? We'll give you an update on the college front. On the way, on ESPN 690, thanks for hanging out with us. Jump in anytime. Star Star 690-904-362-9901. Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody, here on a Tuesday. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, here this week as we get closer and closer to football season. How about this? Two weeks from today, NFL training camps are supposed to begin. We'll see if that happens. What about the college football season? What about college sports in general in the fall? Well, it sure sounds like Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, said from up here in Hoover, Alabama yesterday that they're going to wait another couple of weeks. And by the end of July, we'll see where things are at. There are some rumblings from other schools. And obviously, we already know from other conferences that things could even get pushed back a little bit. But I don't think anybody's ready to bail on the 2020 college football season or fall sports season uh, from a big Power Five conference just yet. Now, we have seen others like Ivy League, and I think Patriot League just did so yesterday as well. So there are some saying we're not doing anything in the fall when it comes to sports. Brent Martineau here in Hoover, Alabama. Austin Lane in the Action Sports Jack studios. And Florida Gators AD Scott Strickland talked today to the media. How about this? Uh, He contracted coronavirus last month. Said he had very mild symptoms and, and kind of dealt with it, and it wasn't a major deal. But obviously, he knows uh, it, it, it can hit close to home. The good news, I think, uh, from a Gator perspective, I think he said they tested 188 student-athletes and only three positive tests. Here's the problem for me, Austin. The numbers sound okay there, right? I mean, that's okay. That, that seems pretty good, promising. I just don't know what the numbers mean anymore, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. what they mean. <laughs> For sure, man. Uh, I'm with you on that. Okay, like what is 
LSU coming down with like 30 cases mean Michigan State doesn't have any positive tests when they tested all their players. I mean, it's just you don't really know what the percentages indicate. I didn't go to med school. Brent, I don't think you went to med school either. So it's hard to justify exactly what you hear. With that being said, though, too, what makes it even more of a, of a kind of a crazy scenario is that everybody seems to respond to it differently, right? Where some people all of a sudden they lose taste and um, some people have sore throats. Some people are, are bedridden. Some people are in the in the IU. Some people don't even notice they have it. So, like, it affects every single person differently. And when we're throwing all these percentages up of, like, this percentage has it, this percentage doesn't, and then you throw in, the obviously, the characteristics of the symptoms of the people that do have it, it's just a lot to take in. And then you're also talking about different conferences in football that seem to be kind of going at about it a different way. It's just a lot to keep track of and, obviously, Hopefully getting ready to start the college football season on time. There's just a lot of factors that I feel like are going against it right now. Yeah, I really don't think they're going to start it on time, and I don't know if they need to, especially if they do go to this conference alignment. I think Scott Strickland said today on that call, he kind of wishes it, it would be a perfect world that maybe the Big Ten didn't come out and say conference only or that didn't leak out, and they could all, in terms of all meeting the Power Five, come out together and say, hey, here's what we're going to do because we, we kind of feel we're on the same page with this and, and we have discussions. And obviously conference by conference you could do different things, but I think the Power Five in general would like to, to act in, in similar fashion uh, if if possible, and I think I don't know what that would mean for kind of crowning a national champion and all that kind of stuff. But I just think they like to work uh, in, as he put it, in concert on this topic. He also mentioned, and, and I think it's interesting, but not very comparable. He mentioned 1918 and how the Gators only played one game that season. And that was the Spanish flu, I believe, uh, back in 1918. I've read some things on that as it pertains to Major League Baseball as well and, and other sports. But my goodness, man, that was 100 years ago. You know, schools weren't making 50, 60, 70 million dollars off college football. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, sports wasn't the economical boon, economical impact that it is now, both at the professional and uh, the collegiate level. I I just don't know how much relevance there is to that. I know he was just citing it. I'm not really ripping him for it. I just don't know if we can lean on 1918 and and precedent for it that that there was stoppage um, in the past in college sports. And and here's where I look at it, too, Brett, and here's kind of in my opinion, the messed up thing when you think about it, right? Right now, you know, obviously college football, they make too much money not to at least do their darndest to try to go through with this season, okay? Because there's too much money to make. I understand that. But you're talking about an NFL league right now as well. You're talking about even the NBA league where there's a lot of players right now that are making a lot of money. They're just like, listen, I'm not going to be quarantined. We're not going to follow all these rules. It just, It is what it is. Now you fast forward to the college players who aren't making money. And I understand hopefully in the next couple years or so they're going to license their names and all that. And that will be taken care of. But right now where it sits is, and once again, I understand in terms of the COVID cases, you know, college football players, they're not at risk at all. But if you're a player, you got to wonder, am I just kind of like a lab rat right now where I'm looking around these leagues? I'm looking at NBA players leaving their quarantine bubbles, getting in trouble, obviously, and they're getting millions of dollars to do it. And I'm looking at me where, yeah, I have my free education, but there may not even be students still on campus. To me, if I'm a college football player, it's just it's a lot to take in, and it raises the questions of should we really be doing this right now? Yeah, I I, I feel you. I hear what you're saying, and and I just think we're trying to figure all that out uh, as well. You know, you bring up something interesting. Will 
we got a lot of that pay-for-play stuff happening. Will COVID-19 in general kind of push that to the back burner from a legislative standpoint? Uh, you know, Florida really tried to speed that up and, mm-hmm. and next year, and maybe that's still on the table um, when we get to next year. But how will all of this impact uh, anything that's trying to be done? You know, forget from pay to play to just any kind of uh, legislation, even in, in the NCAA, that's trying to be passed or done, uh, not only in football, but but in all sports. And, you know, I think we do have to keep that in mind, too. There there are all sports in mind when it comes to the athletic directors talking. We're thinking football, you know, and sooner than later, we'll think basketball. But. For them, they're thinking all sports. They've got to worry about all the athletes and how it impacts uh, all of those guys. But, but let's be honest, though, Brent. The only reason why they're trying to do their due diligence right now of half fall, fall sports is because of football. Okay, It's sure. not because of field hockey or lacrosse. With all due respect to those sports, those are great and everything. But the main reason right now universities are putting in protocols and trying to make the fall sports work is because of football. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, no doubt. Uh, we're not naive enough to know that, uh, to not know that. And I think, uh, I think you're right. You know, let's take, take the economic engine out of this, right? Take out, maybe they make 20 million, you know, instead of 60 million, 70 million. And I'm talking normally. Do you think they would just cancel? Do you think if, if it's, if you took the money out, would, would they cancel right now? Would they fall in line with the Ivy Leagues and the, and the Patriot Leagues and uh, other things? Um, or maybe even move to the spring or, or, or guaranteed to push back. Uh, if you did take the economic part out of, of the college game, not professional, but the college game, do you think hands down, like we know by now that, hey, we're, we're putting this season on hold or at least pause for the time being? Without a doubt. You know, I mean, Wu-Tang Clan said it best. Cash rules everything around me, right? And, and in terms of money, college football makes it. So... I wholeheartedly agree where if they're not bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars, not only for their college football programs, their athletic programs, but also the universities, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But there's a lot of money to be made. We're having the conversation, and we'll see what happens. Speaking of a lot of money, facilities, uh, scouting, recruiting, we're going to talk about those things, not just in college football, but also in the NFL. What's the impact? I want to remind you about 2020 Carathon. You can check it out, childcancerfund.org, ESPN690.com. You can bid on some silent auction items, or you can text the word forever to 41444. Join us. Make a donation today to the Child Cancer Fund. We'll be back on ESPN 690. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. 